Wall Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. Now, well, the collective rage currently is focused on Wilcom. Tyco CEO Dennis Kozlowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Trash. We all make it. Some of us are it. Nina, not looking at you specifically. <laughs> the average American, according to EPA estimates, produced 5.91 pounds of trash per day. That's over a ton of trash per year. With all this waste, some company needed to step up to manage it. And the corporate volunteer was none other than waste management. The company grew rapidly on the notion that garbage removal is something that will always be a part of human existence. And the need was only growing larger. But there's only so much growth a waste removal service can achieve. You can only expand a business so far it can't grow exponentially forever. When profits began to normalize at waste management, the executives greedily wanted more. And in taking out the trash, they became it. Today at White Collars, Red Hands, we switch roles with Waste Management, and it's our time to take out the trash. Take out the trash. Take out the trash. I hate taking out the trash. Um, I'm sorry. Do you live on the third floor like I do? Yes. You gotta, oh, okay, fine. I haven't been to your new place, so I no. don't know. Yeah, I live on the third floor, and then lately, the trash, I don't know what my problem's been, but every time I smell the trash, I almost throw up. Don't smell the trash. Well, you know it's when you so pull the simple. thing, you know when you pull the thing closed? Yeah, garbage you don't bag? breathe in. Well, you're like breathing in as you're doing it. Like, of course, you're going to smell the trash. It's trash. It smells so bad. And then I'm Breathe like, through your mouth. And then I always throw up in the kitchen. So, like, I know this is probably a stupid answer, but stop doing that. <laughs> Not doing it on purpose. <laughs> sure. <laughs> also, garbage men really just deserve more praise. Okay, I it didn't, I didn't know which way you were going to go with that. I was like, either she's so going to shit on garbage men right now or not. No, they don't get paid enough. They actually get paid about six figures a year. I know. That's still not enough. Probably not, because they got to like clean out the trucks and stuff. They have to clean out the truck. Yeah. I just thought they let the it get truck. disgusting forever until they couldn't use it anymore. <laughs> the trucks, no. Just, the, oh when my the God. option is just cleaning it, of course they're not going to do that. Oh, my God. They have to clean it? Well, they dump it out, and then, yeah, they, you know, probably go in there and spray power wash There's or something. poopy diapers in there. There's a lot of stuff in there. There's Amanda. stuff in there that they don't even know is in there, like bodies. I mean, I would hope they'd notice a body. I'm Not if it's chopped up and in a trash bag. You know what? You got me, Nina. Yeah. <laughs> you got me. Yeah. And then there's God knows what. Ugh. Like the trash at restaurants. Whew. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of food in it. That's gross. It's all squishy. Yeah. It's squishy and it stinks. And then it juices. Ugh. Oh, don't say it juices. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's a disgusting term. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> you're raising your hand like you're worshiping no. right now. You're like, no. Praise be to Please trash let her Jesus. stop. So, waste management started from humble beginnings. All right. It's meant to be the continuation of a company started in 1893 by a Dutch immigrant named, uh, didn't look up how to pronounce this one, Harm Huzenga. 
gonna go with that. Uh, who was hauling garbage for a buck twenty five? Uh, a wagon in Chicago. That kind of seems expensive for back then. Well, a, a whole wagon. That's a lot. Like an Oregon Trail wagon? There's different sizes of wagon. Not like a red flyer, yeah. Like a big wagon. I know it would be a big wagon, but one family wouldn't produce a whole wagon, would they? I don't know. What if they cut down some trees? It's got to go somewhere, you know, I mean, and not in their house like it probably would have actually at that point. Yeah, I, I was going to say people firewood. Got, people got trash, okay? he did, Obviously, someone needed this. Yeah, they were tired of him pouring their pee out the window. They had plumbing, I'm pretty sure. Or oh, yeah, or by something. then, yeah. It's 1893. Rome had plumbing how long ago? I don't know. I was thinking of um, way longer ago than this. <laughs> I was thinking, I was honestly, I was like 1893. Ah, yes, when Shakespeare was alive. You had to 300 years off. Yeah, just I'm very off. Uh, so he, uh, harm as it was, was uh, carting wagons of trash away. And then 1968, 70 years later, Harm's grandson, Wayne Huzenga, along with Dean Buntrock, which to me sounds like a teacher in a gay school-themed porn. Exactly. Oh, no. You better watch out for Dean Buntrock. Oh, not Dean Buntrock. He's in charge of discipline. Ooh, no. Don't uh, bend me over the desk, Dean Buntrock. Oh, my God. You gonna rock my bunt? I don't know what that means. That's a butt joke. Great. Uh, so Dean Buntrock and Larry Beck organized the company into Waste Management Incorporated and began to aggressively acquire companies. Uh, revenue from that first year uh, in 1968 was a very modest $5.5 million, but still pretty good. That's actually very good for back then. Yeah. In the course to an initial public offering in 1971, the company made 133 acquisitions of small uh, waste management groups all throughout America uh, and had grown its revenue to $82 million. That's in three Damn. years. That's in three years. So they Damn. exploded because they literally just went around and they were like, I'll buy that and I'll buy that and I'll buy that. And that's how they just became huge. They just bought everyone out. You get a trash yard and you get a junk... It's a junkyard. You get a trash junkyard yard. and you get a junkyard. Everybody gets a junkyard. A trash yard is just what every white trash person has. It's got like it's, three cars out there on honestly, cinder blocks. Yep. And a bunch of like rebar and... Chickens um, just like walking. Old, old bicycles, like too many old bicycles yeah, like, all with like you, the wheels off. Yeah, where'd you get all those bicycles? I've seen so many of those homes. I'm sure you have. You're from Ohio. Yeah. Uh, the company at this time in 1971 serviced 600,000 residential customers and 60,000 commercial ones. Hmm. So pretty big. Yeah. Uh, but they were still to grow farther before in the 80s. They had grown their business to a whopping $88 million in annual revenue, owning 5,000 garbage trucks and employing 12,000 workers. As waste management became the leader in waste removal, expanding even outside the United States. Yeah, don't they have um, offices in Canada? They're in quite a few other countries. Huh. Yeah, uh, but they are the biggest one in America. Yes, they are. And in the world, actually. Now. Like, not back then, but now they are. Hmm. Uh, in 1984, Wayne Huizinga... 
Kwasenga, I'm saying that different every single time, left waste management and went on to become the founder and CEO of Blockbuster. What? That was a mistake. (laughs) Uh, I think he got out of that. Blockbuster was insanely popular for a while until yeah, they but went defunct. W- he was out before that. Oh, well then, good job, he Wayne. Didn't, yeah, no, he didn't go down with the ship. Trust me, he made... Oh, a, he was there to he make abandoned a lot ship. of money He went. He uh, got out before it went to garbage. Most people do. This was 1980. It was the 1980s. You he got out of it before it was trash. Years? He's already... <laughs> Fuck you. You were missing all the other funds. Oh, my God. I had to keep going. And also, Dan Hazenga was named CEO of the Year five times by Financial World magazine. That's an accomplishment. That's pretty cool. Five times. Yeah. Uh, that being said, Bunt Rock was now left alone in Hazenga's absence and continued the trend of acquisitions. But they had bought so many by this point that they were running out of ways to inorganically grow the company. They would have to move on into the sunset, incremental growth years of a company. But Bundrock didn't want that. He wanted to keep growing rapidly, even though they were already so large. They ran out of things to buy. Like, they yeah, bought all of them in America. He owned the Monopoly board. Basically. And he still wanted more. Cause more. More. Like, more. Oh, you mean I'm not going to be able to get any more profits by getting like buying more companies? How else am I supposed to do it? Making a good business protocol and sticking to it? Trash heaps for Bundrock. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a beautiful. Actually, you know what? I love that voice for Dean Buntrock. Yeah. Except for it's in the gay porn because that would that would be way be too weird. scary. Way too like scary. That. No. No, no, no. More boys for Buntrock. Bunts for Buntrock. Oh, my God. What have we got? What have we done? I don't know. I've derailed this episode really bad this week. <laughs> uh, but More than normal. <laughs> in order to keep growing inorganically, though, starting in 1992, Buntrock, as well as other high-level executives at Waste Management, would have to get creative with their accounting. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. We've heard all this a lot before. And actually, Nina's already pointed out before we started recording that almost every single part of what they did to manipulate their books has been done in another episode that we've yeah, talked about. There's a lot of recall. So get strapped in. We're hoping, you know, if you haven't listened to their ep- our other episodes by now, and this is the first one, go back and listen to them because we have f- almost 40 of them now. Yeah. All right. That's actually crazy that we've recorded almost 40 episodes. It's almost been a year. Our our anniversary is coming up oh. on October 28th. Oh, really? It's in a month and a half. That's, That's when, our, when we released the first our episode. first episode was released on October 28th, 2020. Uh, there's no one else I'd rather do this podcast with than you, Kashan. Because Thanks. you're organized. There's no one else I'd like to have derail me. <laughs> Every week than you, Nina. <laughs> Thanks. Because you're so damn good at it. Speaking of derailing. Yeah, sorry. Speaking of derailing. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't listened to our other episodes on this, you might like we're going to re-explain most of it. But there's also detailed examples, and we'll point out where those are located yes. when we're doing this. So, uh, between 1992 and 1997, the executives at Waste Management put into action some unscrupulous accounting practices in order to keep up with earning projections for the company. Now, as we've discussed multiple times before, there are bonuses tied to 
earnings performance for executives. And if they can make it seem like the company is producing more profit to keep their own stock options high and get more bonuses, they prosper immensely from this. Oh, yeah. So they love to do it, you know, like just because the company's doing better. But if they have to lie, we've shown time and time again, they'll do it to keep their positions, to keep their stock high because they get paid in stock options a lot um, and to keep the bonuses rolling in. How do they do this, you ask? Well, they did it by a few convoluted and, in some instances, confusing ways. So let's get into it. Uh, The biggest offense by sheer numbers has to do with the way that they approached their garbage trucks. Uh, (laughs) It just sounds funny. Garbage trucks. No, like the way they approached their garbage trucks. Yeah, and not sauntering in a saucy way that garbage men usually approach their garbage trucks. Is there any garbage man porn? I'm sure nine. I'm not going to take time right now to look it up. I'll do it after the episode. But I'm 100% sure there is. Ew. And could it you stars imagine? Dean Buttrock. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> so uh, we've, we've talked about accrual accounting as it relates to depreciation of assets all the way back in the Telecom Cowboy episode. And this is kind of similar. Uh, the depreciation time on their trucks was eight years, and that's the amount of time it takes uh, for the asset to be uh, basically worthless. It, it, it's not, it, do, it doesn't uh, have a function anymore. And with trucks, it's about the life that a truck lasts before they can't use it. It's not very long. Eight years? I mean, literally, they're driving it every day, yeah. all day yeah. for eight years, you know? So it, it's probably a good... I wonder what the mileage on that is after eight years. I don't know the radius of a route. You know what I mean? Is it five miles? Is it 10 miles? I don't know. I mean, it definitely depends on where you're garbage trucking. If there are any garbage people out there that know, if send you us an are email. A We'd waste like to know. manager, let us know. Yeah, if you're a waste manager, they employ a lot of people. So if you're a waste manager. If you are one of the 12,000 plus employees. Send us an email. Please, I want to know how gmail.com. big your route is. How long your route is. How big? I want to know how big your route is. Sounds like something from that garbage man porn we were just yeah. talking about. Oh, how big is your route? Oh my god! <laughs> so we got a lot of stuff to get into. Sorry. Um, so the depreciation time was eight years, um, but they decided to extend this by fifty percent to twelve years, and also assigned a salvage value to the trucks of thirty thousand dollars, which is way too high. And a salvage value is the worth of an asset after its depreciation. So what you could sell it for when its useful life has run out. And me and Ida did some sleuthing before, and we found the average cost of a garbage truck is between two hundred fifty or 200000 to 350000 So yep. it's like it's worth 10% of its brand new cost after it's like can't run anymore. Uh-uh. That's impossible. Nope. It can't be that high. But nevertheless, they said that it was. And stretching out that depreciation time from eight years to 12 years makes them be able to report them as more worth more on their assets every year, which inflates their uh, earnings mm-hmm. or their profit. They also later ran a study on this to prove that they had made the correct assumptions over the life of... Uh, span of their trucks and the salvage value but when the results came back as not in favor of that they destroyed all the evidence that they ever did the study huh like, sounds like volkswagen mm-hmm yeah except for this time monkeys weren't locked in gas chambers thank god thank god 
At the same time, they also assign salvage values to assets that previously did not have any and don't have any resale value. Uh, I couldn't find any specific examples of what they assigned these to, uh, but I like to imagine they assigned values to like used coffee filters or stupid things like that. They were like, ah, that coffee filter is worth... It's got it has a salvage value. We can sell it to someone for ten cents after we use it. If you recycle that it, that adds up. You know, yeah. well, it depends on how much coffee you're drinking. A lot, a lot. I drink a lot of these coffee. garbage boys need their goat juice. I don't even know when my garbage man comes. You never seen him? Nope. Mm. I'd like to meet him, shake his hand. Just kidding. I don't care. Yeah. Watch him saucily approach <laughs> this truck. The dumpster. Damn. <laughs> That garbage man got a dumpster on him. Am I he got right? a dump truck. No, it's because the dumpster ran over him. He's literally got a dumpster on him. Oh, fuck. He's dead. <laughs> womp womp. Uh, so on top of this, they were also improperly capitalizing expenses, which is exactly the thing we talked about uh, with Bernard Eppers, where they would take the lease that they had on their uh, power lines or telephone lines, and then they would... Uh, make them an asset and then spread the cost of them over quarters, which is something you can't do with stuff unless it's like equipment you own. Right. They were doing the same thing to like multiple things that they had that can't be used that way. Liars. Um, so like an example I came up with is maybe a lease on a landfill property. Like it was technically an expense that they then capitalized as an asset and mm. spread the mm-hmm. cost mm-hmm. of buying the lease over time instead of all at once to make themselves look better. Got it. Uh, and the stupidest one, in my opinion, is the choice of executives to literally just leave off the cost of failed landfill creation and expansion products. So like every time they would try to make another landfill, if they would put money into it and then it wouldn't work, they just didn't put it on the balance sheet at all. <laughs> And I was like, that one's like, how can you, you can't get away with just not, not putting, putting it on, on the balance sheet. Just like, oh, it never happened. Yeah. Like this is definitely not creative accounting because you have to be creative to do it. And I could be like, just don't put the bad stuff on there. You yeah. Know? And that's basically what they were. They were like, eh, just don't put the bad stuff on there. Or they would do something uh, like hide the costs of those on other projects that were profitable. And they would just like mark the profits down on those a little bit to not show that they had like done something. Right. To not show that there was a loss. Basically, which is exactly what Enron did with like their failed plants in uh, India, I think is where they tried to build one. And then they just hid the entire cost of it onto something else. They just boop under the bed. Boop. So they also overvalued companies they acquired to inflate reserves, which in turn offset the actual operational cost of acquiring the companies. Uh, very similar to yet another topic we've discussed, Wirecard, where they would acquire companies and then mm-hmm. overvalue them to show they had more of an asset on their balance sheet after acquiring companies. They did the same thing. Now, the decision to pull all of these stunts was organized by Buntrock and his team of executives when they would develop the budget for earnings and expenses. And when they didn't meet their targeted numbers, they would create accounting loopholes to make up the difference. So they had a projection that they wanted to make, mm-hmm. and they had the the budget, and if the budget exceeded the projection, they would just like do whatever they could to get them to equal because they wanted they never wanted to miss projections. The only problem is that this is super unsustainable because in order to keep manifesting fake growth, they would have to use the already inflated profit from last year as the floor for the next year. So if they have to constantly keep beating last year's earnings, but they're already lying to make them 
seat right, higher. They right. have to keep doing it every you, single time. You, you're trapped. You are not going to get out of that. You're just in a cycle. Yeah. So, like, it would not have lasted forever. But in the short term, this did inflate the income of the executives controlling the scandal and secure their positions as it falsely looked like they were consistently beating huge projections. And here is an estimate of how much the execs made because of their schemes. Uh, Dean Buntrock uh, was estimated to make over $16 million during the course of the fraud in bonuses and the increase in his stock. My God. Uh, Philip B. Rooney who is the uh, COO, he's the chief uh, operating officer. Uh, he made over $9.2 million. Uh, James E. Koenig, who was the CFO, made over $900,000, uh, as well as others making hundreds of thousands of dollars off of this. Wow. And this still went multiple years without ever being noticed, you know? Right. And how does that happen? Don't public companies have to get audited? Yeah, don't they have to get audited? That's so weird. Why, yes, they do, Nina. I thought that's what was supposed to happen. You remembered something from our other episodes. (laughs) But But luckily enough for waste management, they had the most infamous auditor on their team, still a few years away from the scandal that ruined them, Enron's auditor, and one of the big five, Arthur Anderson, was in charge of looking after waste management's books. So yeah, that's right. They're back. Three years before Arthur Anderson was shredding their Enron files and getting their license permanently taken away, they were dealing with the trash man. Oh boy. Actually, waste management had dealt with Arthur Anderson before because many execs at waste management were buddy-buddy with them. Uh, James Koenig, their CFO, was trained at Arthur Anderson as an auditor. Thomas Howe, the chief accounting officer Ah. at waste management, was also trained at Arthur Anderson and was a partner there for 30 years uh, Bruce D. Tobexin, the VP of Finance at Waste Management, guess what? Was also trained at Arthur Anderson as an auditor. Oof. Because of these connections, or just insatiable greed on Arthur Anderson's behalf, both are equally likely and not mutually exclusive, uh, Arthur Anderson decided to take a bribe from Waste Management to oh, remain quiet. Oh, fuck. Uh, Arthur Anderson did tell Waste Management that there were discrepancies in their books but still later released unqualified, which is a clean audit of waste management without any changes being made. Because waste management was basically like, we're not going to do that. Because they knew they were lying. They were like, we're right. not gonna, no, we're not going right. to fix it. So instead, they gave Arthur Anderson extra money in consultant fees as a bribe to give their books a clean bill of health. Uh, between 1991 and 1995, Arthur Anderson billed Volkswagen for $7.5 million in audit fees, but reaped $11.8 million in other fees coming uh, from the company unrelated to auditing them. And that's sus, bro. So... He billed them for seven point five million, but because he was getting paid off, he made eleven point eight. No, so they billed them for seven and a half million just in audit fees, so like okay. the fees to perform their audits. Yeah, but they also billed them an additional eleven point eight million uh, in fees that aren't related to the audit. So that's all the consultant fees. So basically, it was an eleven point eight million dollar bribe over the course of five years. Got it. But even with the auditor on their side, 
uh, this, as accounting scandals always are, is not sustainable forever. And the curtain was about to be drawn back. But Rock decided to retire and get out early. And in 1997, under shareholder pressure, the new CEO, Steve Miller, not from the band, by the way. What band? The Steve Miller Band. Oh. I'm a joker. I'm a smoker. Oh. I'm a midnight toker. That's the Steve Miller Band. Nice. Uh, not that one, though. Uh, decided to almost immediately announce an investigation into the prior accounting of waste management. And then later that month, Steve resigned, <laughs> stating that the accounting of waste management was, and this is a quote, spooky. Ooh, spooky. I like to imagine he went into the files and opened one up and a ghost popped out. He's yeah, like, there was oh, like, fuck. There was like cobwebs. He's like, oh, spooky. It's like, oh, this is spooky. I, I have arachnophobia. I, I can't. This is spooky. I can't be here, please. I'm spooked. It's the only time I think I will ever hear spooky related to account scandals. <laughs> this is the first time I've um, heard the word spooky, like, not used correctly. I don't know. You spooked, right? He was like, ah, I can't be in this job, right? I've never heard of anything like not Halloween related or ghost related be referred to as spooky. Well, I mean, of course it's spooky because he found all the skeletons in their closet. Am Ah, I right, Nina? Ha, ha, ha. Yes, Kashan, you are right. (laughs) Spooky. Now, even though he resigned, the review of the financials did come out. And when it did, Waste Management adjusted their earnings from 1992 to 1997 by $1.87 billion. Wow. The largest restatement of earnings ever at the time. <laughs> and in response to all this news, the stock price tumbled 33%. Oh, to damn. To a full third. At its height, it was uh, trading at $55 around there and it sunk all the way back down to like 12 dang over the course of a couple months and because of this it wiped out six billion dollars in value for shareholders in the company oh my god in total because the loss was six billion that's so much money a problem though that was avoided by the execs of waste management because they all dumped their stock in the week's (sighs) in months leading up to the scandal breaking, with Bunrock himself avoiding an almost $8 million loss by getting out early. Okay, Martha Stewart. Yeah, but hers was like, what What did we end up? Not It was like 165000 or something. Yeah, dollars, not nearly. Is what she avoided losing? Yeah. $8 million. That's insanity. And this is after he already profited over $16 million in bonuses and in stock options falsely before that oh my god so obviously when you restate your earnings by 1.87 billion dollars which by the way the biggest adjustment was related to their assets and their trucks by a lot so that's where they made up most of their money was by uh changing the depreciation value of their trucks and that salvage value for their trucks uh but obviously this prompted an investigation by the sec and in March of 2002, the SEC formally brought suit against Buntrock, the CEO, Philip Rooney, the COO, and then later the CEO. After Buntrock left, James Koenig, the CFO, Thomas Howe, the CAO, Bruce Tobexin, the VP of Finance, and Herbert Getz, their general counsel, uh, for fraud relating to misrepresenting earnings and defrauding investors. And in August 2005, 
the court permanently barred all six from serving as an officer or director in any company and jointly charged them to pay almost $31 million back. All of them together, $31 million. Yes, not each one. All of them together, $31 million. Um, but I have heard reports that waste management fronted a lot of that bill. Like, the executives didn't even pay a lot of it. Because I was going to say, that's about $6 million each. Yeah, and I don't think they did that. Especially, I mean, Buntrock's the worst one in this, right? Because right. he was the CEO. After Wayne Huizenga left, I think that's really when, like, Buntrock had the reins because he was mm-hmm. the new CEO. And yeah. I'm almost positive that he's the one that developed like devised and put into practice this entire account. Oh yeah. It seems as though he did that. Uh, and the thing is, is none of them ever got criminal charges. <laughs> of course not. So it was all settled in civil court. So, you know, that kind of sucks. And then now I don't even know he, his profit stands at this point, like $23 million off of the scandal specifically. Not yeah. And else, he never, and he still has all that money and he's living off. Yeah. Of and it. he probably paid like two million. I think he's dead now, but he probably paid back maybe $2 million of it and probably didn't care that much. No, because that's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. It's, this is just the kind of thing is that like the the punishments don't match. Absolutely not. Don't match the crime again here in, yeah. cor- in, in corporate uh, fraud and scandal. And here's the thing. Like the public didn't even really care much about the settlement in the end because it had to do with a trash company. Right. So it's not sensational. Like, no one fucking cared. They were like, you mean the person who comes and picks up the trash? Like, I don't care yeah. what they do. I don't care what they do. They don't care that they lied to a bunch of people. Right. That being said, though, in a separate suit, Arthur Anderson was forced to pay $7 million for them being complicit in the fraud while never accepting guilt. So maybe Arthur Anderson might have been brought to justice at some point. But like we already said, they kind of were because they were shut down after Enron and then, you know, they had a fall from grace and they're like not even a thing anymore. They, well, they shouldn't be. They went from the old, one of the oldest and most respected auditing firms to completely destroyed in the course of like five years. God. Uh, and waste management itself settled a shareholder suit to pay back the shareholders who lost all their money for 457 million. And remember that the shareholders lost six billion dollars yeah so that's not even half no nah that's that even a fourth uh it's like way less dude it's like half a million it's it's one twelfth god just about that was a real big f you to the shareholders that being said i hope no one jumped ship too immediately because if they held on to that stock right now, it'd be worth $155 a share as of today. Because waste management is a company, however, uh, they fully rebounded. So that's why they're, the price of their stock came back to $155 a share as of today. Literally as of recording, I looked it up. Um, and this was because they had some uh, lucrative Super Bowl ads. Uh, they also shifted their... Uh, company monitor to be like more green, more environment friendly. They do run a lot of like... Uh, I forget the name of it, but they're basically harvest garbage gas. Like they give, like, I guess gas comes off of garbage from micro biomes as it like decays or whatever. And they collect the gas and like use it for stuff. Huh. It's like 60% of it is is methane. They do that. That's cool. I don't know. Yeah, it's cool. Um, So they also were in the first ever episode of Undercover Boss. Yes, they were. Their COO at the time, who you know the name of. Larry O'Donnell. Larry O'Donnell. The COO went undercover. I haven't watched the episode. It's pretty funny. My favorite part. So 
there there's a part of the episode where larry o'donnell is on the garbage truck collecting garbage and like this lady who he was following she has a connection with a lot of the people who she collects garbage from they're friendly and there was this girl who had some special needs who would get really excited to see her and larry o'donnell's daughter has special needs so it like really struck a chord with him but the it's it sorry it's hilarious because he's like crying and he was like he's like i didn't expect to be having emotional issues on the back of a garbage truck (laughs) and i'm like you're not having emotional issues you're having emotions yeah for for executives in top companies emotions are emotional issues like i'm having emotional issues on the back of a garbage truck maybe that's the reason why he left the company like three months after that episode aired. oh i didn't know that it came out or it was less than a year it came out around the super bowl i think it premiered after the super bowl so in like february and then he left in july oh that's funny <laughs> he was embarrassed don't know what he's up to now uh, but we hope the best for you i guess hmm. what are you doing larry o'donnell hope you have learned to deal with your emotional issues in summation (laughs) waste management is the most interesting accounting scandal to ever come out of the trash business (laughs) but that's not saying a lot as the bar is low even at the time people didn't care much about this scandal because the garbage business is such an unsavory one to find yourself embroiled in this story teaches us that scandal and greed can be found anywhere though Nothing can fly under the radar, so we must stay constantly vigilant in our pursuit of a fair economy. And although this trash story kind of stunk, it was still hefty, hefty, hefty with scam and fraud. So instead of being mad, I think I'll stay glad that the trash behind the waste management scandal is finally in the dumps. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the culmination of like eight hours of research and writing this. Is I get to a point where I'm like, ah, I'm going to make the stupidest actual line I can think You're of. You're like, how many puns can I fit in two sentences? By the way, I tried to look. He's I w- crying. <laughs> I want- He's having emotional issues at our fold up table. Uh, I thought it was on the back of a garbage truck. If only you were on the back more, of a garbage truck. It would make truck. more sense. Uh, I tried to look for a third brand to mm-hmm. use their motto. There's like, but there's only like two. There's big only trash two com- big trash companies. Big, big trash bag companies. They got an oligarchy going on, or uh, what is it? A, a panopoly, an oligopoly. That's what it is. Where there's just like a few people who control all of it. So thank you all for listening to today's episode. Uh, <laughs> short about trash, but you know, <laughs> short trashy. But honestly, I did really enjoy. Uh, like learning about this one. I mm-hmm. think it's because I've like now built up a knowledge of accounting scandals. Right. So much from doing everything else. Like the first one I did when I did Enron, it was like so hard. It was hard to wrap our brains around. Now we're getting used yeah, to it. Yeah. Now, now that we're like, now that I learned more of the terminology and it's not like super foreign, you know, it's a little bit better to me. So l- like I said, if you did listen to that and you were like kind of confused, maybe, and you haven't gone back and listened to those, I think our like corporate scandal ones are always pretty mm-hmm. good, are always pretty good and informative episodes. So I go yeah. back, Enron, uh, Worldcom, that's the telecom cowboy, um, Wirecard, mm-hmm. Tyco, mm-hmm. they're all, they all have to do with each other too. Yeah. So 
So, yeah, thanks for listening. If you uh, like the episode and you want to support us um, back, then you can... <laughs> what? Support us. I don't know. I want to say something and I can't... Back. And I can't, like, uh, put it into words. You're like, I don't know words. I guess I, bet, I, guess I just kind of want to say, I was like, thank you guys so much for being here with us. You know, like, we are coming up on a year and... This has been a really awesome journey uh, for me and I'm sure for Nina Mm -hmm. uh, in doing this and put like just really grinding and putting out a product every single week uh, and having someone there on the other side of, you know, the podcast player sitting there listening to us. I always want someone else on the other end of my grind. Exactly. You know, basically, thank you for listening, guys. And then what I wanted to say is if you wanted to support us even more you like what you hear and you've been here for a lot of our episodes and you haven't yet, please go and uh, leave us a review on iTunes or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. It really helps us out, gets us out there, helps us grow this show as we put more and more work and time into it. Um, If you want a less free way to support us because money does mean more (laughs) than words, uh, unfortunately, we've learned that uh, through all of our podcasts here too, or all of our subjects here too, uh, then you can buy our merch from T Public. Uh, the link for that is uh, in the description for the show. It's also on our Instagram page. Uh, you can find links to it on our Facebook page, on our Twitter, uh, everywhere. If you need help finding those, you can get there at facebook.com slash white collars red hands, Twitter at white collars pod, Instagram at white collars underscore red hands. Uh, you can also email us if you have suggestions for shows. We, Please. We've gotten quite a few suggestions that way, and who knows? We might even send you a little something if we use your topic. A little something, something. Shout out to A. Thank you. You know who you are. Um, Isn't that the Gossip Girl letter? You you pretend like I watch Gossip Girl? I've never watched it. Me either. All right, never mind. <laughs> so the, why are you? You've never well, seen it. Well, I just it. remember, I think there's a person in that named A. I don't know. Probably. Okay. Anyway. Think about the easy A with Emma Stone. No. All right. Fine. Uh, you, so you can send those uh, recommendations or just if you just want to ask us a question or send us uh, your thoughts on a topic at whitecollarsredhands at gmail.com. You can listen directly uh, from our website, whitecollarsredhands.com. I think that's it. I think that's it. So uh, once again... Thanks so much. We're happy we're here. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do for our year anniversary, but we'll do something. Maybe we'll give some shit away or something. Maybe we'll give some. That would be a good idea. Maybe we'll give some shit away. So so follow and see uh, what it's like or uh, what you need to do to get in on that. And we'll see you next week on the season finale dun, dun, dun. of season four in another episode of White Collars Red, Red Hands. Hands.